13th chapter, and I will read a small passage beginning with the first verse. 1 Kings chapter 13, and I'll read verses 1 down through verse number 4. Amen. Don't get nervous. I really will preach a long time. First Kings chapter 13, verse number one. And behold, there came a man of God out of Judah by the word of the Lord unto Bethel. And Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. And he cried against the altar in the word of the Lord. And he said, O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord. Behold, a child shall be born unto the house of David, Josiah by name, and upon thee shall he offer the priests of the high places that burn incense upon thee, and men's bones shall be burnt upon thee. Verse 3, And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord hath spoken, Behold, the altar shall be rent, and the ashes that are upon it shall be poured out. Verse 4, And it came to pass when King Jeroboam heard the sayings of the man of God, which had cried against the altar in Bethel, that he put forth his hand from the altar, saying, Lay hold on him. And his hand, which he put forth against him, dried up so that he could not pull it in again to him. By the help of the Lord, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach a little while tonight from the subject, Don't Mess With My Worship. Don't Mess With My Worship. Why don't you take a moment and just give God praise? Would you just magnify the Lord for a moment from the front to the back? Let's just take a moment. Lord, we need your help tonight to preach what you've laid on our heart, put in our spirit. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, amen. Turn to two or three people around you and tell them, don't mess with my worship. Don't mess with my worship. Amen. Jeroboam was a chosen leader at a very young age. He was chosen by God to lead the nation of Israel. Jeroboam was God's answer 
to the failure of the succeeding generations of David. God saw something in Jeroboam to the point of promising him if he would serve Jehovah, his kingdom and the throne would be established forever. Jeroboam's lack of trust and faith in God and his inability to believe the promise caused him to feel insecure in his placement as the ruler of Israel. Has anybody ever been there? Jeroboam was a rational leader. There's, there's nothing wrong with being rational. I know a lot of people that could use a good case of apostolic rationale. The problem with Jeroboam's rational thoughts and human reasoning was that it caused him to devise a religious plan that was completely humanistic. Jeroboam's plan lacked faith and trust in God. The purpose of Jeroboam's plan was to gain a, religio a religious following and to cater to a group of very carnal religious people. Jeroboam set up a system of thought and catered to the humanity and the ideals of his generation. There are a lot of churches today that are following this sort of thought. I see a great need and feel it deep down in my heart that we need a fresh revelation of God's way. And truly, we need a spiritual awakening. It astounds me at the number of people who have once walked in fellowship with God that have made a decision to walk away from this wonderful truth that was once delivered to the saints for a less, for a shallow, for a mediocre experience with the King of Kings. I come tonight to tell you that I don't want a plan that is any less than the plan that I grew up on. I don't want a style of worship that is any less than the style of worship that I grew up on. I don't want a watered down version. I don't want, I don't want a docile down version. I want a version that comes straight off the altars of apostolic revival. I know a lot of people that one time worshiped God with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their mind, with all of their strength. But they come into church today and they find every reason why that they can't participate in what God is wanting to do in that service. They find every excuse. They don't, they don't have the energy to worship God, but they can go to a gym and work out for two hours. Something is wrong. 
I know people that one time had the energy and the courage to clap their hands, to dance in the spirit, to run the aisles. But now they can't even lift up a hand. They sit through a service like they're bored. I know people that one time stood in pulpits, sit on sit on piano benches or organ benches or drum or drum thrones or whatever it was they did that one time sang in the in the choir, but today they can't sing in an apostolic move of the spirit. They can't worship. Oh, don't disconnect from me now because I'm going to come right where you are. We live in a day and an age where we try to manipulate everybody and everything by our attitude toward worship. Worship has become our pawn, if you please. If you don't do it my way, I won't worship. If you don't sing my song, I won't worship. If I don't, if I don't get it my way, I won't worship. If your attitude is connected to your worship, there is something wrong with your attitude. There are people that get caught up in some new form or frame, mindset, if you please, of worship. Their worship has moved away from a sincere move of God to some shallow, meaningless ritual. Rehoboam was an ungodly king. So Jeroboam, acting under God's direction, led a rebellion against the evil king, Rehoboam. The outcome was that Israel was divided. Jeroboam became the first king over the larger portion, still called Israel. And Rehoboam remained king over the smaller portion that is called Judah, after Rehoboam's tribe. The name Jeroboam means he who oppresses the people. The people here is referring to Judah. And Judah means praise. So Jeroboam was the oppressor of praise. Jeroboam will forever be remembered as the king who called, caused Israel to sin. He became the prototype of an evil king. Fifteen kings later, they were still being described as evil kings like Jeroboam. They followed Jeroboam's false worship. Can I pause for a moment to preach to this congregation? I respectfully preach to the group of elders that may be in the house tonight. But can I tell you, shame on you, if your worship has changed. Well, I got the hand clap of a few young folks in the house, but I'm going to come at it just a little bit stronger. If I may, can I tell you that if you're not leading and showing the younger generation how to worship, don't complain about their style of worship. If you're sitting on your hands while they're worshiping, don't get upset about their style nor their method of worship. I looked over here tonight at this front row. 
I'm not going to tell you that all these boys understand everything there is about Daniel's image or the book of Revelation. But I know this much. When they were up singing, worthy is the Lamb. We looked over. I even touched my wife. And I said, look over at that front row. These boys were connected. They were singing with all of their heart. I looked behind them at this group of young ladies that are sitting there in Branson. And they were singing and worshiping. Their hands were raised. They were clapping. Some of them had tears streaming down their face. Somebody says, I don't understand about these kids. They jump up on every note. Let them jump up because you used to jump up, but you changed your worship. Don't tell me you're too tired to worship. I've been in four services today and I still got energy to stand in this pulpit and preach the word to you. Don't tell me you don't feel like it. I just came off of a deathbed two weeks ago. The doctor said don't preach two services. This is my third to be in the pulpit. But I come to you tonight to tell you I refuse to allow anything to affect my worship. He didn't leave me when I was down. And I'm not going to leave him when I'm up. Hallelujah. I know it's hard to say amen when you're guilty. I know it's easy to get a bad attitude when you're guilty. But you ought to not let anything get in the way of your worship. Well, I'm mad at somebody. I'm upset at somebody. Then, then go ahead and worship because they're not God. Don't become a thief of God's worship because you're mad at your brother or your sister or your spouse. It's not your worship to withhold. If you withhold it, you're stealing from God. What already belongs to Him. Somebody ought to make up in their mind. I'm not going to let anything get in the way of my worship. My worship is the most important thing that I have. Let me get back to my message here. Although God had promised Jeroboam a great and lasting destiny, Jeroboam rejected God's promise. And because of that, he nullified God's plan for his own life. And this affected his family and his nation and his nation for 15 generations. Here's what I'm telling you. Some of your attitude. That's right, I'm coming strong tonight. I'm happy, nothing wrong. The popo pulled me over, but I'll be all right. Some of your attitude toward worship stinks. And it's affecting you. But here's the problem. It doesn't just stop with you. Because Jeroboam's change in his worship affected 15 generations. The problem is, is that what has been handed to you, you better handle with care. Come on, grandma, you need to start worshiping like you used to. 
I'm not telling you you got to run the aisles. You may not have the ability to run aisles anymore. It isn't about what you do. It's that you're doing something. If you can't run the aisles, maybe you can dance in the Spirit. If you can't dance, maybe you can tap your toe. But somebody ought to see something out of you. Hey, come on, let me tell some of you something. If you've got the joy of the Lord, it ought to show up on your face once in a while. It ought to show up on your hand. If you can't clap your hand, you ought to be able to just shake your finger. But something ought to give praise to God that is noticeable to everybody around you so that your progenitory will not be affected for 15 generations. I don't have it all figured out. I make a lot of mistakes. I do a lot of things wrong and I'm far from the best father. But I come here tonight to tell you one thing. There is one thing that if I mess up everywhere else, there's one place I want to get it right. I want to give my family the freedom to be able to worship. Because when I have grandkids, I'm going to act them on in church. Come on. Come on, it's time to worship. Where are our praisers? Where are the apostolic dancers? Where are the apostolic aisle runners? Where's the breakout service when somebody just stepped out and said, I'm not and much happening, but I'm going to get out and I'm going to worship God because He's worthy. Not because they're singing a fast song or my song, but I'm going to worship because He's worthy. How long has it been? Some of you say, well, it's all in the Word. How long has it been since the preach Word of God put it in your heart so strong that it made you get up and dance while the preacher was preaching? Don't tell me you're a Word person if it doesn't put joy in your heart and bring worship out of you. You're not in love with the Word either. you got a worship problem. Let me preach. In order to achieve political security, Jeroboam abolished national worship. Let me tell you something, Papa. You got the ability to pass on things to your generation, to your to your children and your children's children that they're going to have to live with. You think it's winning you favor with somebody across the aisle, but you're destroying your family. You'll come in the future and say, pray for my lost kids and my lost grandkids because of your bad attitude toward worship. But you start engaging in worship and you'll see God turn your life around. If some of you would engage in worship, God could take you and elevate you somewhere. Let me tell you what this choir and these musicians hear from me and have heard from me and hear from me over and over again. If you're going to be on the platform and you're challenging the congregation to worship, when you get back out in the pew, I want to see you worshiping like you were when you were in front of everybody. If the only time I can be engaged is when I'm in a pulpit, there's something wrong with my worship. I intentionally move myself off of a platform not because I'm trying to be cool but because I want to get down here and worship during the service and engage in what's going on. I don't want to look out and see some growl on somebody's face or some frown on somebody's face. I want to come to the house of God be right up front where I don't have to look at anybody and worship. 
If somebody around you is affecting you, you need to get right up front. You say, well, pastor, there's no room in the front. Come, I dare you to just come make another line across the front. Say, I'll make a statement to the whole congregation that I'm not going to let anybody get in the way of my worship. Worshippers find a way to worship. All right, let me preach. So Jeroboam broke down the altars of his forefathers. The reason some of your worship has changed is because your prayer life changed. And he replaced the altars by building a new altar in Bethel, which being interpreted is the house of God. It sounds good on the outside. But the issue was that the altar that Jeroboam built in Bethel was not a place to worship Jehovah. It was a place to sacrifice idols and to worship idols, to sacrifice unto idols. So God sent an unnamed prophet to Bethel. And when he got there, he discovered the condition of Bethel. Every man of God ought to walk in and discover the condition of the congregation. Can I be real with you tonight? I pulled in the driveway late. And there were cars that were double stacked. If you parked up here in this front lot, I think you're blocked in. I looked around. I think I saw two spots maybe left to park a vehicle. And I pulled in and felt myself become overwhelmed by emotion. And I said, God, this congregation deserves better than what I'm going to bring them tonight. God, this group of people deserves better. Ain't nobody making them come to church. Ain't nobody making them be here on Sunday. I observed the size and the fullness of the parking lot. I walked in the door, and I see chairs set back in the back. I see the pews full. I see the choir on the platform. And I said, God, this congregation deserves better than what I'm able to bring them. Every man of God needs to have a moment of reality. That I come in on Sunday evening feeling like I'm not as prepared as I want to be. I'm not as ready as I want to be. I'm not as rested as I wanted to be. I came in with my mind in 15 places. And then I got messed with by the police. And I kept a good attitude. Because he let me off. <laughs> and he said, I noticed a couple infractions. But you weren't driving dangerously, he said, so I'll let you off. Yes, I swerved across the double line. Passing a car. 
God sends an unnamed prophet to Bethel. And when he got there, he discovered the condition of Bethel. And he saw that praise had been replaced with idolatry. It bugs me. Now that's a fleshly feeling, all right? It's isn't spiritual at this moment. I'll get spiritual in a minute. It bugs me to see people who claim to be spiritual, but their praise and their worship is as flesh-filled as anything you've ever seen in your life. I believe it is a stench in the nostrils of God. That they only lift a hand because somebody on the platform asked them to do it. They only sing because somebody asked them to. Or it's a song that they particularly like. They only respond because they are being compelled to. If your worship does not come from your heart because you want to, all of the worship leading and all of the music and all the tactics and everything that we use to try to get people to engage in the service is for nothing. Because he is seeking such who would worship him in spirit and in truth. If your spirit is not connected to your worship, you are wasting your time. If you're clapping because somebody asked you to and you don't engage your spirit in it and say, I'm doing this because I want to, I'm engaging because I want to, you are engaging spiritually. That's what praise is about. Well, why is it that they get up and say, clap your hands, lift your hands, say hallelujah, turn to three people, do the hokey pokey, whatever it is that they ask you to do. What's all that about? It's about trying to get people to engage in the service. It's about trying to get people to engage in what God's doing. Come on, sing with us. Come on, clap with us. Come on, stand with us. Come on, respond with us. But some of us look for the first opportunity to sit down, for the first opportunity to lay back, for the first opportunity to get busy doing something else because our spirit is not engaged in our worship service. Therefore, we make it entertainment. For those who are engaged in his worship, for those who are not engaged with their spirit, it is entertainment. You are not criticizing God, the church, the music team, or anybody else when you say it is only entertainment. You are criticizing yourself because it is a matter of your heart not being engaged in what is going on. I know some of you like bluegrass, but I don't really care for bluegrass. But it doesn't matter to me if they get up here and pick a banjo and sing, I saw the light. I got to get engaged with my worship. It's not my favorite style, but he's still my favorite God. I got to engage in what he's doing because he is worthy and nothing, no style of music. It doesn't matter who's singing. It doesn't matter who's playing. Not every song they do here is my favorite song. Sorry, Sister Cheryl. Quite frankly, some of them, I'm kind of like, hmm, okay. But I don't want you to know which ones those are. 
Because some of you may just think that's my favorite song. That's good. Come on, let's worship in spirit and in the truth. I don't want anything. I'm not going to let a music style mess with my worship. I'm not going to let who's singing the solo mess with my worship. All right, I'll stop meddling. So the prophet saw the condition of Bethel and that the altar that had been built there had replaced the original altar. And now it is a place of idolatry. Can I tell you, God will always send a voice. You may not like it, but God will always send a voice. And sometimes a bony-fingered preacher to look at you and point in your face and tell you, you need to get control of your worship. It may not be, it may not be what you wanted to hear, but God did it at Bethel and He'll do it to you. He'll do it at CLC. And so the prophet comes along, so Jeroboam ordered the prophet to be arrested. But it was really Jeroboam's idea all along. Mm. Some of the people that pull you into their mess will turn on you when they are exposed. Some of the people that pose to be your friend will turn on you when the prophet of God comes and looks you in the eye and tells you you're the man. They'll all of a sudden say, what will arrest that dude? What in the world is he doing? What is that idol worship doing? But the Lord said, I'm not going to have that. When Jeroboam points his finger out and says, that's the man, the Lord said, I'll paralyze your hand. He goes to pull it in and his hands froze. I can't even pull it in. He has to go around with three fingers pointing back at him. When idolatry disturbs worship, the wrath of God will be released. Pastor, you judging my worship? I'm only judging it by the expression on your face. You know what? I judge my preaching by the expression on some of your faces. Some of you like it and some of you don't. That's okay. I came and preached what the Lord put on my heart. If you only knew, I, this isn't even what I came to preach tonight. Spencer looked at me about four minutes before I walked to the pulpit and said, what are you preaching? I said, I have no idea. I have about five messages. I have four others pulled up right here on my computer ready to go. I said, I have no idea. And the Lord just kind of spoke it into my spirit. I pulled it up, looked at him. I said, I'm going to preach. Don't mess with my worship. He said, all right, let's do it. I thought, boy, you have no earthly idea. I came to preach a completely different message. But the Lord said, you go preach to them about their lack of worship. You go preach to them about the lack of their engagement in worship. And then they wonder why their family's in the mess it's in. Then they wonder why their life's in the mess it's in. Then they wonder why their grandchildren's in the, are in the mess that they are in. It's because of your worship. You have, you have pointed fingers at everybody else. But tonight, God has sent a man to this pulpit to tell you don't mess with the worship that belongs to your God. God is saying don't mess with my worship. If I don't hurry, I'm going to preach a long time. So Bethel became the center for Jeroboam's golden calf cult. That's what it was. 
It was a cult. The church has never been a cult. The church is not a cult. God has nothing to do with cults. We live in a generation that strives to make things easier. They want to make it relevant to today. When the truth is, revelation is what they really need. Because revelation will breed conviction. And conviction will produce a people who will forsake worldliness and cleave to holiness. The sin of Jeroboam was that he offered worship for a discount price on the terms that it will be more convenient. When we live our lives based on convenience, we are feeding the flesh. Let me tell you why I call this church to fasting. There was about 60-something people that gathered here last night to kick off the 21-day Daniel's fast. I hope that some more will join us tonight. I hope there's more than 60. I hope everybody finds a way to engage in this fasting season and in this prayer season. Prayer, Monday night, tomorrow night. You don't want to miss it. Be here at 7 o'clock. God's going to pour out anointing in the house. Well, it's inconvenient for me. Build the golden calf. Because idolatry came with the excuse that it was more convenient. It's time for the church to get back to the point where the flesh is crucified. And we stop making excuses why we don't worship. Why we don't show up to church. So Jeroboam set up a spirit of religious competition. It was a competition of rational thought against biblical requirements. This spirit is still in the church today. The travesty is that people followed his reasoning and the downfall that followed was the undoing of every life. In a stretch of being original, They simply opted to worship in a system that included all the heathens around them. It was copycat worship. Beware when you become comfortable with your worship because if you're comfortable it's not costing you so if you're comfortable with what you've been doing I dare you to step out of your comfort zone 
What does that mean, preacher? That means if you're comfortable sitting in the pew and clapping your hands, you need to do more. You need to go to the point that it starts costing you your comfort zone. Because you are toying with idolatry when, you're, when it's easy on you. This is okay. I'm okay with this. This is fits in my personality. This little hand clap fits in my personality. You need to get out in the aisle. If you're comfortable clapping, you need to lift your hands. If you're comfortable lifting your hands, you need to clap. If you're comfortable doing all two, you need to try doing the pogo a little bit. If you're comfortable with that, you need to get out and try to move a little bit. You need to get out in the aisle. You ought to get up in the front. You ought to put some action with it until it becomes uncomfortable. And you start saying, this is not in my personality. This is not in who I normally am. Beware of things that feel too comfortable. Moving out of the comfort zone is what established this apostolic movement. If they would have done what was comfortable, they would have kept preaching the Trinity. And they would have kept baptizing in the titles. And they would have stayed where they were, but they came out of it because of a revelation. If somebody in this house would get a revelation of what I am preaching to you tonight, it will revolutionize your worship and you would break out in worship like nobody's business. You would get back to the point when you don't care who thinks what about you, but you are determined that nothing is going to get in the way of my worship. It belongs to my God and I'm going to worship Him with everything I have within me, with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, and with all my spirit. So in an attempt to appease the people, Jeroboam found an alternative way to worship. Rather than worship Jehovah and his pathway of expectation, a golden calf that provided context for the natural desires would be now allowed to fellowship in his newfound faith. It's strange when people who once said, I will always worship, now no longer worship. When people say, I will always be a leader in worship, Now's not even a follower in worship. What you followed is you followed the golden calf cult. You followed yourself into boredom in, in the time of worship. You followed into some false sense of religion and you are lost and undone without God and will stand judged before God should he come today. All because that it is easier on you to follow the traditions of the world. Just because the latest craze is to worship with a particular pattern doesn't mean I'm going to follow. Don't mess with my worship. There's a few things in my life that are non-negotiable. One is this great apostolic doctrine. If you decide you don't believe this apostolic doctrine, God bless you. Don't let the door hit you when you go out the door. I cleaned it up a little bit.
And it moves slowly across the congregation. If you don't like this apostolic doctrine, fall in love with it. Because I'm going to keep preaching it. I'd rather be in some storefront somewhere preaching to a handful of people, preaching the truth than to be in a big cathedral preaching false doctrine. Don't ever mess with my doctrine. And don't ever mess with my worship. Don't ever tell me we need to be a little more sedate in church. We need to stop. Let me tell you what brought this apostolic revival on at the turn of the century and what's kept it. It's fire in the pulpit and fire in the pew. It's the Holy Ghost in fire and it's keeping me alive. Keeping me alive. Keeping me alive. If you don't have some fire, I don't know if you're alive or if you're dead. This truth was born in the fire and the church needs to keep the fire. Our songs need to keep the fire. Some of you don't know what to do at a moment that we ought to break out dancing because we've lost the fire. So rather than travel all the way to Jerusalem to worship, they can stop short at Bethel. (laughs) Because it will be acceptable taking a shortcut by Bethel. Because Jerusalem's a longer journey. It may be a longer journey, but you know, let me just get where I'm at tonight. I'm sick and tired of feeling like we got to have church for an hour and ten minutes and get out or everybody's going to stop coming. I'm sick and tired of feeling pressured in the pulpit that i got to stop at 40 minutes or people are going to complain about long-winded preaching. I'm saved today because I had a pastor that preached until the Lord moved. Sometimes that was a long time. What would some of you do if I preached an hour and 45 minutes? Some of you would leave in the middle of it. I don't intend on doing it if I can get my point across earlier. I'm not promoting an hour and 45 minute message, but I am telling you, there is no shortcuts to a move of the Holy Ghost. Patty kicking through three songs, offering prayer, and getting a a preacher on the pulpit needs to be thrown out the door. We need to get back to the point that we sing until Jesus moves. We need to get back to the point that we worship until we have a Holy Ghost move in the service. We need to get back to the point that the preacher preaches on worship until somebody gets out in the aisle and decides I'm going to worship. There's no shortcuts to worship. It takes sacrifice. It takes death. It takes blood. It takes pain. It will cost you something. Oh, come on, somebody. Let's give God praise for a few minutes.
God hates idolatry. God hates idolatry. God hates shortcuts. There's no shortcut to the glory of God. I've got a whole group of young preachers and a few elder preachers in here. And I'm just going to talk to them just for a moment. The rest of you are off the hook for the next 30 seconds. But when you walk in this pulpit, whether you are leading a service, whether you're leading prayer over the next 21 days, whatever you're doing, you need to be prayed up and on fire. Some of you weren't here last night to see what happened. But without any warning, without any This is when I'm going to call you or I'm going to call you. I just reached over, grabbed Gentry. I said, Gentry, I want you to come and pray. He walked into this pulpit, and I'm telling you, that boy prayed, and the Holy Ghost swept into this room. The power of God fell while he was praying. I'm not magnifying Gentry, but I am magnifying the fact that he's been down in that that basement, and he's been talking to God and got prayed up to the point that when the opportunity came, he was able to be instant in season, out of season. When he, He wasn't expecting it, but he said, oh, you're calling me to pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've already paid the price. I'm not taking a shortcut. I'm not going to get up and find some easier new way of doing it. But it's the same thing that's going to create fire in the preaching. It's going to be finding an altar. It's going to be sacrifice. It's going to be giving everything you've got. It's about being passionate with your preaching. Come on young men. you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. There's no shortcuts to the glory. I didn't ask anybody else to share what you broke down. But I'm going to tell you what I wrote down last night. As the one thing that I'm believing God for over the next 21 days. It is an awakening in worship in this church. We've fallen off of where we were. Is there anybody in the house that's still apostolic that wants to get back to apostolic worship? It's been a while since I've seen bobby pins in the floor. It's been a while since I've seen guys pulling off your jackets. It's been a while since I've seen men loosening up their tie and saying it's time to worship. It's been a while since I've seen some of you ladies pulling off your shoes so you can dance in the spirit. Come on, let's get back to old-fashioned apostolic worship. Let there be an awakening of apostolic worship. somebody why don't you just worship God for a few minutes sick of religiosity. I'm ready for the glory of God to sweep in. I want the glory of God. Somebody needs to quit worrying about who 
going to think something about you. You need to step out and worship and worship. Don't worship the message. Don't worship your pastor. Worship him. You and the Lord. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, let there be freedom of worship. Fall from the front to the back. In the name of Jesus. What about me? I don't want anything to get in the way of my worship. <laughs> 